You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Sonia Natanzan. She is a software solutions architect with over 15 years of experience in healthcare and has a deep passion for helping patients through software. She leads software development teams that specialize in order to cache processes, laboratory solutions, and system integrations. Hi, Sonia. How are you? Good. How are you? Same, same. Really good. I'm really excited about talking with you. Um, do you want to add anything else about yourself? Um, no, you have it pretty well covered. I, I, I generally tend to think of myself as uh, a software architect in healthcare. Um, healthcare has been an accidental career for me. I actually worked in a okay. few different verticals. But I, what I realized after a few jobs is every other job I had was in healthcare. And I found that there was a lot of value in this combination of um, no, knowledge of the technologies and knowledge of the vertical in the business. This is the intersection yes. where I can bring a lot of value. So I, I decided to make a career of it and had no regrets whatsoever. And that's, that's something important, especially for developers or for any person that builds something for other people to use in a specific field. For God's name, get some knowledge in that field. So you build something that will make the lives of people actually using using the end product easier. Yeah, I think there is a lot of um, you. You really elevate yourself when you learn about the business and you become an equal partner to your product team and to the business partners that use your software to customers, uh, you're, I, you know, you're that much more engaged and you bring a lot more value to the table and you're making things that, you know, other people are using, which is always better than just having, you know, working on a pet <laughs> yeah. project. And it's, it's not fun at the end to have nobody using it or not liking it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so without further ado, what is the biggest leadership success story you've witnessed personally? Some time ago, I worked um, with a gentleman. So he, he started uh, in a company where I was at. And my okay. very first encounter with him, he was effectively my peer, a colleague. My very first encounter with him was extremely adversarial let's put it this way we were in the oh, meeting together okay. and i came out of a meeting and i told my boss at the time i am never going to meet with this guy again he's a total condescending jerk like i've never <laughs> okay. like i've never seen before hey you know like one of those people who walks in the room and goes well everything you built here is no good and we have to redo everything it was just a very frustrating interaction yes. and my, my boss chuckled and said, yeah, he's getting, you know, multiple people are giving the same feedback. And I think he's going to learn about that soon enough. And in my head, I kind of wrote this off. And I thought, nah, feedback, people don't change. But apparently, uh, either his leadership or somebody um, in his peer group had talked to him about it and said, hey, you're alienating oh. your colleagues. 
uh, you're not interacting well. And interestingly enough, he made a pretty huge change in his behavior and interactions with him has have gotten a lot better very quickly. And in fact, he went on to a career in technical leadership where he could inspire people to follow him. He would listen to, um, he would consider feedback very deeply. He would act on it. He would just basically continuously improve himself and he became okay. a really good engineering lead. So I thought, it changed my beliefs about, you know, people don't change. They don't. Yes. And even if they don't internally, they can externally have a, um, a persona that helps them be better leaders. You know, be, you don't have to say everything you think on the inside, on the outside. So I thought it was a very, very impressive change that this person made to become a great engineering lead. And Sonia, do you have any ideas what he did to do this 180 change? I, th uh, I think important thing about feedback and is absorbing it deeply and acting on yes. it. What I find is you can't talk your way out of an impression. If I made a bad impression on you, I can't just say no this is not how you feel. I'm actually a much better yeah, person. True. The only thing you can do to change that perception is give somebody a different experience. So next time you interact with them, you do something different, you do something better, you try to adjust your behavior. And I think this is what he did time and time again, is he adjusted his behavior so that he could give um, his uh, um, peer group a different impression of himself and I thought it worked out really well yeah and that's that's a really good point that you don't have you don't say to people I, I've changed I'm different show them because yeah. actions speak louder than words and that's something you have to even if you start like with not a good impression where you don't make it because we all have bad days or different situations or God knows what happened so you might start with a bad impression on a colleague or on a team, but if you then show them for your actions that you're actually not not that person that they believe you are, gradually it it changes. Should ideally you should not be in that position to start with. No, first impressions matter, but what I what I remember most in that story is how big of a change he made. So ultimately, I, I ended up working many years with him, and I have nothing but great things to say about him. So actually, he impressed you. Might be like yes. a tactic, <laughs> like create a bad impression and don't <laughs> change it. it, it, it Honestly, yeah, I think there's something to it because it shows the range that you can be and how much change you can implement in yourself. If you're continuously, you know, great or continuously bad, you know, it's <laughs> it's the dynamic and the change, I think, that impresses me is how far one can go. Yeah, and I'm also like, the same goes like for this pandemic that the whole world is suffering through and how quickly we changed our behaviors like as a society itself values shifted uh, new behaviors emerged and you feel like 
no, it's uh, we could not change that fast. And it happened like somebody came on the TV and said, you have to stay in the house from tomorrow. And everybody said, fine, we'll do it. It's not like we'll stay like two hours extra and then try four and five. It was no, no gradual thing. It was like, this is it. That, yeah, that's true. It was a sudden change. It was a tough change, though, I have to say. I think for yes. a lot of people, it was a huge adjustment. Exactly. And uh, Sonia, I'm really curious, what is like the, the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Yeah, it's, it's a story about another colleague um, that I worked with on the team. Uh, I, he was hired because he was a technical leader in um, a specific stack that we were looking to implement. Very, very impressive in his technical knowledge, just good uh, depth and breadth of uh, understanding. What we found out very quickly is he was a okay. very difficult team player. It was interactions with him, even though he had a lot of technical depth, felt very combative a lot of the time. It was okay. a lot of arguments for argument's sake. It was not a lot of decisions being made. It was a very rigid, um, he was very rigid in how he wanted uh, to do things and wouldn't adjust for either um, circumstances or team dynamics or anything at all. So what I saw very quickly is that the team dynamics were degrading uh, fast. It was a team of maybe six or seven engineers and it was just every time there was interaction, it was very difficult um, and okay. very complicated. And he started receiving feedback about this. And he was one of those people who just completely resisted it and said, no, it's not how it is, and just refused to adjust. So we worked with him um, for a while, but I think after a time he realized that it was just not working out. It was getting too difficult and the feedback didn't stop. He was not enjoying yes. getting... Uh, uh, getting that feedback continuously. So he ended up exiting. And, and, and the thing that I found really interesting is team dynamic improved considerably. The, the team actually worked better without him, even though they didn't have that depth and that skill set. They acquired the technology uh, yeah. eventually, but how they operated as a team just improved by miles when this person wasn't there. And I thought it was such a missed opportunity. He had every chance to be that lead who has people that follow him, who can impress the, um, the technology, who can set some standards, uh, best practices. But because of how he interacted with the team, he completely missed out on that opportunity. Yeah, having a lack of flexibility is, it's, it's not good in any situation, and especially like in the technical field, because each problem you can solve it different ways and they're, and depending on what you have on the roadmap plan, so it's not like it has to be like this. There are different sources. Some might, might sometimes you will sacrifice uh, 
speed to make it more flexible or whatever solutions you have, but you have to be able to have those conversations and actually take a decision at the end. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's, there are multiple paths to the same goal and it's always a trade-off analysis. Do you, yes. what is it that you need at the time? What fits, you know, it may be something that, that's, that you're building in the very immediate future. It may be something that needs to last for five years. It may be something that needs to scale, but it's a trade-off analysis. You won't have everything, so you have to pick a few things that are critical and operate to them. I am, um, right now, I'm working on a software that is going to facilitate uh, COVID-19 testing. Our mindset oh, wow, is, nice. yeah, um, our objectives are build fast and build to scale because the need is right now. Huge, you know, if, yes. if, if, we, if we take a year to build something, it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be useful by that time. I'm hoping there is a vaccine, but in the meantime, we, we choose our objectives and we get, take a path to reach those objectives. And it's the same with everything else. It's a trade-off analysis. You can't be rigid in how you decide things. Yeah, and then you choose the technologies and how you're going to use them to achieve the business goals. Or uh, yeah. and it's something you have to understand, especially like as a lead. It's always like starting with the business goals, and then trying to align them with the technology and the technical people. So that okay, we have to achieve this. I think this is the solution that would work best in this situation. Taking consideration what we have to do and the time scale and yeah, and too bad. There are, I've met, I've met, unfortunately, I also had experiences with people that really skilled, really talented. They could basically a walking encyclopedia of knowledge, but because of uh, the viewpoints that they formed, they could work only on, on a specific way each project has to be like, if the company business goals are not aligned with their views on how it should be done, it was a disaster, basically. Yeah, it, it's really unfortunate when that happens. And, um, and sometimes it's really difficult to impress how much uh, team interplay matters. I, I, I think a lot of this is individual dynamic versus team dynamic. I'm a big fan of having team proposals and having team buy-in um, on, on these solutions because I, I always think, you know, crowdsourcing is crowdsourcing for a reason. This is your, <laughs> your you built this team, you hopefully have really good individuals on your team, use them to create a solution. Don't force uh, your ideas onto the team. Yes, that is so right. And it usually turns out better when you have like a solution made by the team. They don't have to be like the each one the best player. Even like in sports, if you, they try like assembling the all-star teams and they perform worse than the other teams that were like not that good. Just because the team members did not jive together, they could not work. It's more important to have a team that gels and they can do stuff together than have like the best people, but they cannot 
collaborate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And Sonia, when it comes to your leadership philosophy, what, how do you think about, about leadership? It's an interesting question. I, I think leadership is not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about oh, making yes. others better. I try to remind myself about this on a daily basis. Uh, I tend to have strong opinions myself, but it, it's important to, for me, it's important to surround myself with other people that make me better, hopefully, and that I can make better. So some kind of complementary skill sets where I, I can defer mm. to others to 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 make me better and to make the solutions better. I tend to be a high trust individual. I work with new team members to establish that trust. And once I have that, they have a lot of um, latitude for me to go off and explore new things, uh, develop new solutions, make proposals. I encourage that thoroughly and I try to get out of the way and not be a bottleneck for implementation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's really good. And I like your mindset of getting people with complementary skill sets because uh, the more you grow in, a, in an organization or if you move to a higher position in another organization, you don't have time to learn all the ropes and all the skills and acquire them and also do the work. What you need is a person or have on your team people that really fill the gaps for you and you can also fill the gaps for them. Yeah, absolutely right. You, um, you have to elevate as you become a leader and it's hard. It's hard for me. I like the details. I like the nitty gritty <laughs> oh, yeah. and I like I to get the, you know, and I like to hands on do things, but you have to keep realizing you can't, you won't have time pretty soon if you're going to look at uh, the entire stack, at the entire organization, at bigger solutions. You, you won't be able to get into those details. And what are some things that you do to help elevate your team members? I... Offer opportunities. I, 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 my sense of my general mentality about leadership is it's emergent. I offer opportunities. I try not to do assignments, but if there is an interesting, challenging, larger project that comes along, <clears throat> I'll say, who wants to take this? And if somebody steps up, I will support them in execution. I will provide information, time, whatever they need in order to be successful. That's how I try and develop leaders in my organization as much as possible. If no one steps up, that's a sign in and yeah. of itself. Um, yes. But most of the time, there's somebody there. There's always people who want to get to the next level. And it's really great to watch um, especially some of the more junior team members develop into um, next leaders. Yeah, and if when they offer, it's like the project is a little baby and they're more involved in it. 
So yeah, there is a lot of that, uh, what real estate um, people call pride of ownership. Uh, yes. it, when you build something, you want it to be good. You see something wrong, you go fix it, you, you are proactive about it. There's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, and especially because you talk like uh, lots of juniors, they really love to, some of them love to step up and take on new challenges and grow in their careers. What would be your top leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Learning is definitely one of them. Uh, you have to, in our industry, you have to keep learning. It's things change all the time. Every few years, you'll find out that there's, you know, maybe new technology, new method, new pattern, and you have to be willing to stay yeah. sharp in order to um, in order to excel. I know it gets exhausting, but it's um, sure does. it's very necessary. The other tip that I would have is stay humble. You don't know what you don't know. And as long as you keep that mindset that there's another person who might bring a different point of view, maybe a different technology, a different um, reason for doing things um, in a fundamentally different way, as long as you stay humble and willing to entertain those, I, you will go a lot further than if you say, if you stay very rigid and just kind of embedded in your own uh, point of view. And what we talked about earlier, learn to let go of the lower level details. It's an interesting modulation for new leaders or, or really any leader is knowing when to dive deep into something, into that low level of detail and when to step back and elevate. I, I found the need to go deep into something if I see a failing project, for, for example. This is where you nice. have to engage deeper, uh, either train the team or maybe sometimes hire a team, maybe change technology. More drastic things need to be done that, that require deeper engagement. But once things are on track, once things are rolling, learn when you can step back, let things go, not engage in an extra low level of detail and know enough for it to be successful. So it's, I think it's a tough skill to obtain because we get really <laughs> engrossed in it, but it's a really, really important one. If you don't let go of the lower level details, you won't step up to the next level. Oh yeah, that is so true. And so I also find it hard because when you're working on, on projects, you're in like more close to production, you have activity, you have stuff to do. But if you're really good as a leader, you have a whole bunch of free time <laughs> because the team is doing the job, everything is going okay, flying, and you're basically just, yeah, twiddling your thumbs around and you have to find ways to fill that time with becoming a better leader, in my opinion and uh, maybe taking on some other stuff. It's a challenge, at least I found. <laughs> I have to tell you, I have never been in a situation where I've twiddled my thumbs as a leader. I am hoping to get there someday because there's always more work that comes your way. But 
I understand what you're talking about. I think this is where that high trust comes in into play. Yes. I, I trust that my team will come to me when I need to know. If there is a problem, if they see uh, something coming down the road that might be a challenge, if they need my help or getting roadblocks out of the way, that's where that trust becomes really important. And I don't have to keep going to them and go, how's it going? How's it going? Is everything okay? Exactly. I know I know that they will come to me and ask those questions and I will engage with them and help. Yeah. And I found that's a way you show them trust, like but not checking all the time. Yeah. Of course, there's also like the reverse of the metal and you find out stuff too late to <laughs> to fix it. Uh, that's another <laughs> delicate story to cover. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about it. I, I make it a point to address these types of things and say, hey, what can we do better next time? How can you um, jump on this earlier, address with the right people? Maybe we need a new process. Maybe we need to change an existing process. So having those conversations becomes really important to know that this isn't this isn't a blame game. It's not to find fault. It is to improve operations. And ultimately, it becomes easier for everybody because it's, you know, nobody wants to run around last minute or fail at projects. So everybody wins. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the goal. You, as a leader, you have to have the tough conversations and help make the job easier for the people that you serve, basically, and also for yourself. It's it's a side effect of helping them. Yeah. Uh, and since Sonia, we talked about um, learning all the time, especially in tech, you have to learn all the time. The treadmill never stops. What's mm. the book that had the most profound impact on you? Ooh, it's tough. There have been a few. Uh, one that stands out, uh, I read it some time ago, was Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. It's okay. a leadership book for women, uh, about women. She's um, a COO at Facebook, I think. So she's, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's number two. Um, and what I found really interesting, that book was controversial. It was specifically because it's for women in leadership, how to elevate. Some of the advice there was controversial. But the bigger, biggest thing that I took out of it is there is a big acknowledgement about the fact that there's not as many women in leadership. I find myself yes. very often the only woman in the room among technical leadership. And it's different. So we should understand how it's different, why it's different, and start figuring out how to address this and how to really elevate ourselves. We may want to... Um, play on the same, you know, basically be on the level playing field with men in the room, but it doesn't always work that way. And it's good to understand why. And it's good to basically forge your own path. It also made me think quite a bit about um, working with junior engineers, uh, women engineers, okay. and figuring out a way how to elevate them. I don't have very many at all, even in, in the group, in the department, much less on the team. So 
it's interesting. I always wonder what the challenges are and I try to help out and be an example wherever possible and encourage women to take the next step in leadership. And would you have like some ideas how, uh, how the field itself, the, we can attract more people to in tech and have them climb higher and higher in positions, assume more it, of a leadership mantle? It's a great question. You know, I probably don't have anything that hasn't been said already, but um, acknowledge and understand that it's different, that there are different challenges for women and be a champion uh, for, for women in the field. It's um, the typical, one of the typical barriers that women have is um, they don't speak up in a group of people with strong opinions. As we know, a lot of engineers have very strong opinions. So giving them, an, <laughs> giving them an opportunity and explicitly calling on them to speak up, hearing them out, uh, giving them that platform, I think is a good first step to that, get, encouraging them you know, and making their opinion feel valued. So to me, that's the biggest first step. And then taking it from there, they're, women are individuals like everybody else. So adjusting for an individual will help. Yeah, it always helps. And I really hope, I don't know what's the state like in the U.S. with uh, how many women choose to go to and study like technical fields versus men. In my opinion, it all starts like with the university <laughs> where people choose to go. Yeah, I think it, it starts there. The studies that I've seen, and it's been a while since I looked, is... There's quite a few in the um, junior ranks, and then the higher up you get, the fewer there are. They drop off at a much higher rate, and I am not sure why. I'm not. Sure. I don't know if it's the same still. At, at least from my empirical view, it looks yeah. the same. But <laughs> I, I am not in every company. Um, but I think it's not just how many of them study it seems like they start out with the same numbers but how well they can progress and what are these barriers to progression that they experience and try and remove those and that's true and also it's it goes like also for uh, for women and men because a lot of people they study it and then they find out they don't like it and sometimes they don't like it because the companies they work in, the style of leadership they find there, it's like they find overbearing said, Oh, I have to study all the time. It's like it's worse than in college. Mm -hmm. And then I also have to work in this environment that I don't enjoy. Says, ah, I better go and do something else. Less paid, but less stressful. That's true. I've actually, a long time ago, I did leave a job because I found the environment to be just really difficult i th there'd been a lot of churn in that company to begin with i had three leaders change on me and the very last change i found myself on the team that was very very difficult and i looked around and i said i don't need to be somewhere 40 hours a week where my life is being made this difficult i will look for something else so it, it's 
that it's also an option, a very valid option, but it's always sad that, you know, you can't make it work because of these types of situations. Yes, it is. But hopefully, slowly and slowly, it, it changes. Yeah, I hope Sonia, so too. And Sonia, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. I think LinkedIn is the closest one. I am very much under the radar without a lot of social media. <laughs> and it's um, uh, a lot of me goes into my work rather than social media. I do speak at occasional conferences. O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference was one um, that I spoke at uh, several times. I, I was very sad to find out that we won't have any more in-person ones. But look for me on various tech uh, conference circuits. Um, MuCon London is one. And I was at um, uh, DDD Europe this last year, which I'm hoping to go awesome. to again. It's a wonderful conference. So that's where you can go and find me. That's great, Sonia. It has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.